This episode is brought to you by Indie Insights, our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to independent film. Inside, you'll find tools, tips, and tricks vetted by industry professionals, independent films that will inspire your creativity, filmmaking events where you can rub elbows with filmmakers just like you, and so much more. The best part of it all, it's absolutely free. All you have to do is go to www.banzai.film forward slash subscribe. And within a few clicks, you'll be part of our newsletter community. Again, that's www.banzai.film forward slash subscribe to get Indie Insights, a free bi-weekly newsletter from Chris and Nick at Bonsai Creative. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this is an Indie Talk Week, and that means I have my good friend and co-host with me, Nicholas Bugs. Nick, say hello. <laughs> What's up, man? It's good to be here, as always. It's good to see you, man. And uh, we haven't been apart for that long, yeah. so, you know, I can't say that, you know, I missed you that much, you know. Well, okay, I, I still miss you, man. I still miss you. You should contextualize that for the people because they're thinking that you mean on this podcast, but you mean something else, don't you? I mean, in person, right? Because we got to we got to be in person for a couple of days and and do the thing. You know, of course, I'm flexing mm-hmm. my my tea. I know people can't see me move over a little bit for those who are on the on the YouTubery, right? Nashville mm-hmm. Film Festival was just this past weekend and this past week. And it was a great experience, man. It was just uh, a lot of fun, met a lot of good people, saw some great films. Um, and I think it was just a really good experience. You know, you and I go every year, yep. right? I think you have a, a different role in this year's festival than you've had in the past. Yep. So that was really cool. You know, we can get in on that. But it was just, I think it was a really good experience. And I think you've been told that this is one of the best so far. So really exciting to be a part of it. Yeah, it was a great festival. I really enjoyed it. We had incredible films programmed. And when we started attending this festival in earnest every year, I think it was about 2013, 2014, uh, obviously we were just going as, as filmmakers, creators, producers, because the podcast didn't even exist then. And for the last two years, I've been going as a board member. And so it's been a nice progression this year in particular, um, due to a promotion I got at the beginning of this year within the board. Uh, I'm the vice president of the board for the Nashville Film Festival. So what I found is the only thing that really changed there between this year and last year, you know, both, you know, board years, so to speak, is that people come up to you with feedback more often. 
It's so things they'd like to see mm-hmm. changed, uh, questions like before the festival started, I got sort of deluged with text messages and phone calls about people who wanted to know, would their film be accepted? Why didn't their film get accepted? And, you know, when, when their accepted film is going to screen all these different things that, um, really people didn't come to me for last year as just a a member of the board. So that's been, that's been a little bit different, but let's, let's talk about people coming to you though. I think that there's uh, two sides to that, you know, right. One, if they understand, you know, you got you're walking around there with a badge on. Yeah. Right. And your special badge says board. Your special badge says board. I got you a board. (laughs) Yes. But, but, the badge yours, yours is spelled B O R E D though, and that's the problem. <laughs> 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 but the badge says, "Come and talk to me." Oh, see. There it is. Um, so you—that—that's what it is. It's a sign saying, "Come talk to me." Now, secondly, you invited it, which was great. Oh, right, that is sure. something that I thought was really nice. Where you would walk up to people and specifically ask them and say, "Hey." What did you think about this venue? What did you think about the yeah. music? What did you think about the timing? Yeah. And I think, to be honest, what I saw was that caught people off guard. Like they didn't, they were like, wait, what? Like I can comment on that? Like yeah, that's the thing that yeah, I'm supposed yeah. to do? Like, yeah, like I'll take this feedback back. We need that feedback. Like how are we supposed to get better? So yeah, that's I'm an example that, that I think other other folks should definitely do, man, at other film festivals. Get out there, talk to your people. Don't just do the, you know, shaking people's hands and, and showing up, but actually ask them how you could be better. I think there are people who are reluctant to do that as well. Like it's it's interesting um, because our board uh, on this festival is mostly people in music. I mean, it's Nashville Film Festival, right? It's going to have a music element to it. That's just the facts of the matter. And... Um, as such, there's like a limited amount of interest. I shouldn't say that. Cause I mean, they, they love films. I'm not saying that, but they don't, they don't spend their day entrenched with independent filmmakers like I do. I think that's fair. I think they would agree with me with that for the most part. You know, maybe okay. Will Lowry would take, um, umbrage, umbrage with that because, <laughs> you know, he's, He's in that finance world and, and, and wants to be around filmmakers. But I still don't know if he's in like the intimate conversations about the creation of things, though, uh, you know, like I am. And so and, and getting to know these people on a very, very personal level. And so I think what I just said to myself is, OK, where can I? And I say this about everything. I do this with everything in my life. Where am I useful your homeboy Arnold Schwarzenegger is about to come out with a book called, I think it's just called Be Useful. Yeah, well, that's that's what his dad told him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I love the book title and I love the sentiment behind it because it's true, especially in an age where you have artificial intelligence and the the idea of you being a, a data uh, wrangler faster than AI just it, it doesn't you know, does not compute. Uh, the dog didn't hunt anymore, but your ability to be useful to another person will never, ever go out of style and will never, ever not be useful. Something we say all the time, filmmakers are people too. There was a lot of that this week. A lot of that, a lot of like, I need a hug. A lot of, you know, I've been down, uh, since this, this, this happened, 
Um, even going back to the 48, and you know, I, I announced on this podcast a couple of episodes ago that I was doing a 48 for the first time and uh, was doing it with a longtime collaborator and friend, Maki Depp, that we did a feature film with called Another Version of You. Go watch it if you haven't. Go buy it if you haven't. Um, but I've been around this person giving him notes, consultation, creative uh, springboarding, all kinds of stuff for years. I've known him for quietly a decade now. And we made what I thought was a, a good film um, that we continue to tweak actually in the background. Um, and the film we actually uploaded on time to the 48 had an error in it. An error or two in it or was incomplete in our mind, but we also wanted to be on time so we could be considered for awards. That being said against 60 films, we thought we were definitely uh, in the top three and the nomination sort of proved that out. We were the third most nominated film in the entire fest. We won the audience award. So that was great. So that's like the people thought we were the best movie and we won another award um, for best in our genre. So we had the best romance film, but we didn't win anything for technical. No technical awards. And let me tell you, uh, not to spoil anything, but when you have people disappear and you have people <laughs> multiply and you have a creature crawl over the skyline of Nashville, you feel badly for those people in post that you produced, right? If you're me. And even that required some filmmakers or people to touches to reassure those individuals. Yeah. You're super talented. Yeah. There's something going on there. Yeah. I uh, can't win them all. Well, whatever the language, whatever the talk is, you know, because you need to let those people know you not winning isn't always about you. Like there are other things and, and that's what happens with the festival as well. Hey, we didn't program your movie, but guess what? It isn't always because of your movie. And one thing people fail to realize, and we'll talk about this down the line in our culture chip, actually, is that a festival is programmed based by category typically. And if you have a, a short film, but there's 1,000 short film submissions, just logically speaking, your chances of getting admitted go down. And it's really funny, Nick. Now, this is a micro, this is a subculture check. And you can, I would love to hear your thoughts on this because it is really funny. Like not funny, haha, but funny. That's ironic. When your film is accepted into a festival or you're in a contest, you don't want any bias. You want no bias from the judges or from your audience. You want everything to be cool, clean and cool. Like just, I, I want to know how I did. Right. You go to your screening. The reason you go to the screening as a filmmaker is Nick. Do you know, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> well, to get eyeballs and have people see your, see your work. Yes. But the main reason is to see the audience's reaction. All right. What worked, what didn't, when you don't get accepted, Sometimes, and this is kind of what I'm getting to about like the difference in being this year and last year, 
When you don't get accepted, then you won't bias. Dude, you're not letting me in. I'm, I'm a filmmaker here. <laughs> I'm local. I'm here. You're not going to let me into our own festival? It's like, yo, that would be cheating. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Are you that's, asking I don't me know to that cheat? That's true on the because front end, though. The, I think they want that. You know? I think they want that on the front end. I, I think that they want that consideration. I know they want it on entry. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. But not after the fact. I'm thinking that when they submit, I think in their heads they also think that they might be a shoe in because you know they're local and you, or you think they're going to win. They're going to win an award because they're local. Oh, not necessarily win, but get but enter right, get entry mm-hmm. into the festival because they're either like you said they're local or at least they're known in the community. Right. Because there is that factor. It's mm-hmm. like, depending on the size of the community, if you only have, you know, I don't know if Nashville is bigger than this, but just give an example. If you only have three people from your community submitting. Yeah. Right. One would think that you would want to give all of them the opportunity to be seen because this might be one of their only opportunities to be seen. Right. So that's the type of thing. It's like, guys, you know, there's only what, so many what, of what us. What POV doing this. are you speaking from? Are you speaking from the POV of the festival or the POV for, of the filmmaker? Of the filmmaker saying that, okay, hey, so I, I agree would with think that. I agree yeah, with that, that I would get yeah. in because of that. That's, yeah. yeah. But they, if we let them in, then they, then they, all they're going to get is objectivity from there. Like they might get an audience award because their friends showed up to their screening. Right. But there's no way that they can avoid the audience reaction. Audience reaction is pure. It's pure. You know, it's, it's that feeling you get when someone's smiling with their mouth and not their eyes. Like you, you recognize that you, you see that you feel that there's, there's a disconnect. You don't get to be free of that lack of reaction. Once you make a film that, that someone cheated in a sense, and I know it's a harsh word, but someone manipulated the system to get you into the festival that's the part that hurts people the most. It's like, it's, it's a, it's the William I've been calling it this for years, the William hung effect. It's where everybody tells you you can sing and then you find out you can't. And then you wonder what your whole life is. Yeah. But I think it it might, it might be slightly. So we're not doing anybody, we're not doing anybody any favors by, by, um, and again, you, you, you put a condition on it that isn't one-to-one with NAF, right? Like small community, small community, you know, if you have, because what I said was thousand short films got submitted. Yeah. We're not going to give preferential treatment to the, to the three that were local. Yeah. And that's what I mean is that from the filmmaker perspective, international film festival. Yeah. From the filmmaker perspective, that's what I'm saying is that that's how their mindset could be. And you know, and I push back a little bit on the objectivity side is like when you say like a filmmaker goes to the screening to see the, the audience reaction. Uh, I think that's true, but I, I'm not sure that that's the primary thing. Sometimes it's to showcase Hmm. your art. Some filmmakers, you know, don't necessarily aren't necessarily as affected by the audience, depending on who the audience is. Right. It's like you could be like, well, they just don't get my art or you do get the five people who clap mm-hmm. out of a silent room. Right. And it's like, well, hey, they got it. Right. Or they liked it or it's people didn't like it and you learn from it. Right. And you take that for the next thing. But what you're happy to have is to have had the experience to experience that. 
Like you had hmm. that opportunity, right? And that and that could work. So I don't know if it's all bad. We might when you we get might agree in, to disagree maybe on not that point. on your merit. I think it's still like I had the opportunity. Plus, there is value, and we've seen this in saying that you've been been accepted to the film festival, right? People take that because the thing is, if you take the acceptance outside mm-hmm. of the film festival world, no one knows whether or not your work was good or the audience liked it. But they did hear you say you got accepted to the film festival. So there's cachet in the acceptance alone. So there's value to that as well. I, again, I, I get it. People are, you know, can get hurt and will get hurt if the audience doesn't like it. There's value to all those things. No one's questioning that. Yep. I mean, the ego boost you get when you see that accepted, it's like getting accepted to college. But one does not go to college for the acceptance letter alone. Like you, exactly. that feeling. They go right, and not at all, so, but they can take it. You know, right? I, I, I would, I would agree to disagree with you on the word primary. I would not use that. I would think that is patently sort of wrong. But like, because everything has an audience. If you do a TED talk, there's an audience there for a reason. Otherwise, just do it at home. Um, you know, there's uh, when you have an art gallery for a painting, if people don't show up, that was a failed art gallery. If one person showed up and liked your art, it doesn't matter. It was failed. So like the... Well, there is an audience. Yes, did it feel good? There's a built-in audience. That you got a showcase? Yes, yes. It's great that you got a gallery. It's great that you did a show. You feel great that someone would be willing to give their venue for your art. But if no one buys a painting, that's really what you're there for. And I just think if you made a thing, if you really, really made a thing, like, you know, like I said, I started in music. I've said that a million times on this show. I've never met one performer, one musician that was good that didn't want their music to be heard and then understand and get the feedback of whether the album or the song is doing well or people liked it and received it. Does it feel good to release it? Yes. Does it feel good just to make it? Oh, I know a lot of artists that just make it, just make it to make it. Even if the songs aren't good, they all feels great because you get the, it's one of the first things my mentor told me in music. He said, independent musicians will make an artist so they can show their mom. They made an album. I've never forgotten that because it's so true. Yeah. And that's, I'm not even talking about the business of it. And that's what I'm saying. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm just talking about getting into the festival. And, you know, like I said, I believe that the, that primary thing is to make sure that people can see your art. You can experience the festival because there's a lot there to the festival. Again, getting the acceptance, uh, getting your film, your artwork on a big screen, right? Engaging with filmmakers. You know, I think a lot of times at these festivals, especially as, you know, shorts, you know, well, even the, the feature films, I'm not exactly sure how much feedback they actually receive, um, you know, from the broader audience. So I don't know that they're going to get that, you know, uh, I didn't like your film, right? Or your film was rated the lowest out of all of these. I don't think they're going to get that kind of feedback. So I think that, again, for me, the primary thing is for them to, to, re- to show their art, to be accepted into a festival that they believe in, to be able to take that festival acceptance and then potentially, of course, the idea of winning something. Um, you know, with that as well. But I think that, you know, that, that experience is something that, you know, filmmakers crave. And then, like you said, that bias that you're talking about, yeah, I definitely believe it exists, especially in the, uh, the smaller communities, but, you know, we'll see at the larger film festivals. I, I definitely don't, you know, like if you're going to Sundance or South by, I'm sure there's, um, you know, there's bias there too, but I don't know that the average or the general filmmaker, feels like there should be any bias towards them in at least getting accepted. Yeah, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Look, we, we can, we'll, we'll table it for uh, another, another day. 
but you know, I have to, I have to go by sort of what I'm experiencing, but it was a side point anyway, to the, to the overall point, which is that, you know, this festival was, you know, in, a, in, in our board president's opinion, the best one we've ever done. That's Randall Foster. And so, you know, it's, it's one thing to hear someone from our board talk their own book. You expect that. Right. And so, uh, you know, it's another thing to hear it from the community. And so I know that there's room for us to improve and I'm waiting and for additional feedback. I'm compiling that feedback. I'm going to give it to the board because my ultimate point before we sort of got sidetracked on that other thing, which is my fault, but it was a great conversation. And it's a really important point is that maybe more important than even what I'm talking about now, but the point I was making is just that I, I find myself to be the voice and I've, put myself in that position intentionally to, to be the voice of the independent filmmaker here in this community and be the sounding board for them, a way that they can talk directly to the programmer, to the volunteers, to the executive director, to the board and say, here's how we can make this festival better. Um, and if you want my advice on, on how to get into any festival, it's make better work. You know, we're, we're going to go to the Fayetteville film festival next week. We're jurors there and we do like a pitch um, session and uh, workshop and we love doing it. It's awesome. It's a great little festival and we do this pitch workshop a few different places every year. Um, Lance Clark, if you're listening out there, we haven't forget, forgotten about you in your class, but uh, it's a, it's a good workshop and it's cool to watch all these films that come from all over the place. Like they're feature films, short films, music videos, you name it. And they come from a variety of backgrounds and levels of profession, uh, professionalism. And one of the things you get caught up in as a juror is that same thing we're talking about. Like, do we judge this and comment on this film on its actual merit or on the fact that, oh, that's a student film, which is like a euphemism for that's a good throw for a girl. Like, I grew up with women. I don't like that. I hate that's, that. That's I, itself. I, I, I don't like that. I think that's, I think that's yeah. just tell me if it's a good throw, you know? And so, uh, and it is a tough one because you do recognize those, those differences. I mean, if someone had a very, like, let's say DEI background, they would say, well, lift this person up because they don't have access to equal equipment and funding as this other filmmaker. But then that ruins meritocracy to, to some degree, like to a great degree. And so you always have to balance that. And so what I do, and I know Nick, you have probably a different process is I just start with what was great about the movie. No, wait, wait. Now you're talking about the way that you when approach, I'm a juror. Yeah. Being a juror. Yeah. Got it. Being a juror. Sorry. If that wasn't clear. So when I judge a film and this could be in festival, out of festival, first of all, give notes. Don't just, say you hated a movie or loved a movie or somewhere in between and, and not, and, and leave that uncertainty of like, well, what could I have done better? That's not helpful. So be somebody that's useful and helpful per our comment earlier. So what I like to do is, you know, I'll give it the rating and I'll go, I'll give the good note. Then I'll give the, the note of improvement. And there are a lot of films like that where it's like, ooh, you had the bones of something really fantastic here. 
You had the bones of something sweet and heartfelt. And I know what you wanted to do with this. I know when you went to sleep at night, this is what you thought the film was going to be. But here's what happened. That's all. You know, here's what happened. And I think as long as there's a way to get those notes back to those filmmakers, they can be really useful in that next, in that next project. And you can reserve those people who spent so much money, time, effort, uh, expertise, experience on a film that legitimately was unbelievable. Uh, you can give them their flowers, you know, versus, you know, a situation we were in a few years ago where it's like, there was a film that was clearly better than all the rest, but it wasn't almost wasn't going to get its flowers because the other film that was like the second or third best, you know, was a, was a local fave. That's a tough one. It's a t- I think we made the right decision. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I think by giving the right film as flowers. Yeah. So I, I would say that, um, you know, every festival probably does it differently, you know, with respect to the judging, you know, there, you know, we can just, I'm know, drinking Willet, by the way, this is right. This yeah, is we can just be, we can just be straight up and say that they do, you know, there's ratings. There's not a, a single one, right. For some of the stuff that we've been That's involved right. in where it's just like a one to 10 or a one to five, or, you know, even at the film festival at NAF, you know, they gave you a one to three as an audience I hate member. That. I, I don't yeah, like, yeah, it. I won't even get I like that. one to yeah. five. We yeah, used, at, they at used least, to do one to five. We used to do one to five. Right. One to three is really tough. Yeah. It's because it only gives you really what three options, right? You either hated it, right? It was middle of the road or you loved it, right? Like yeah. that's pretty much all you got. But anyway, so we get things like you got to rate it, you know, one to 10 on direction, on cinematography, on audience appeal, on pacing, on structure, right? There's, there's a lot of different things uh, that you will, you know, rate these, these films on. So there's a lot that goes into it and there's a lot of attention. No yeah. There's, there's a lot of attention that you have to pay when you're watching each of the films. And, you know, you mentioned like you and I have potentially different perspectives on, on how we watch film in general, right? Cause mm-hmm. I'm one who's definitely you know, looking at the technical stuff, maybe first where you're looking for more, more of the connection. So for me, I've also learned to just kind of switch that. So as a juror, I can now do what you do, right? And I can just watch it, just watch the film, you know, just don't judge it off the front. Like, did you feel anything? Did you emote? Did you get what they were trying to do in general? And then I watch it a second time for some of that technical stuff. Some of the technical stuff jumps out at you. You know, I know for me as a juror, one of the things that I'm always looking at is basically distractions. You know, did Mm -hmm. you do something? You know, normally it's audio, right? That's one of the biggest things. It's like you did something in the audio that Mm -hmm. just totally distracted from the film. Um, But those are the things that I would harp on in the technical side. It's like, did you do something that was distracting from your point? Now, that whole audience appeal question can be very interesting now clarify that for the listeners because they may not know what you're talking about here well what i'm saying is that that's that's a measure right that's one of the measures that goes into exactly. you know measuring the film and what i'm getting so at on, is that this on one film of the freeway most difficult one of the measures to judge it to judge a film one is audience appeal right so and it's one of the clear. most difficult yeah. things for me uh I, i'm sure for any judge because now you're saying okay well what is the audience <laughs> That's the question. Is it the audience mm. that they made the film for, or is it yeah. the audience of the festival that you're going to, right? Which is mm. could potentially be a completely different audience, right? So you, when you look at that, it's, you kind of have to it's the make most a judgment. subjective, right? Yeah, but you got to make a judgment up front 
on what that is, because now you need to measure every film by the audience that you chose. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the idea, but that's one of those where it's really interesting that that's one of the measures, but I, all that to say, which audience did you choose? Well, for me, I chose the audience based off of the film itself. So what audience that I think the filmmaker was trying to sell to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how did it appeal to that audience? Um, but it's, it's, we it's may find out that that's not how you do it. We may find out that they wanted us to, to go festival audience. So that's interesting that we both picked the film's potential audience. Because you know, There's it goes enough. beyond the festival. That's the idea. Yeah. The film yeah. isn't intended just for that festival. So when the we're rating beyond it, it. Yeah. exactly, we want to rate it beyond just that festival, but it's a, it's a really interesting process and you know, it's, uh, it's time consuming. You know, because you have to go through and rate these things. And like you mentioned, you know, Chris, you take notes. And I think that that actually might be something that, you know, other film festivals or even for us, we might want to tell people, hey, let's do this. Like, let's make this part of the festival experience because I don't know that it is. I don't think filmmakers are getting notes from jurors. I don't believe that that's a common practice. But if you're having these respected folks be jurors, then why not leverage their input? To help these filmmakers. Yeah, we're jurors for a reason. Like, exactly. how are we bringing value to the filmmaker if we're not leaving notes and only judging their movies from, from some ivory tower? And then we're hidden behind a wall. Those people really can't see us or know us until the end of the festival when they sort of announce us and say, here were our jurors. So, right. Now, here's, here's what's interesting too. You made me think about this when you talked about the audience thing. There's a little trick I have as well which is I pick a volume setting on whatever I'm watching the film on. And I basically try to watch it on the same thing throughout. So that's a theater screen, big computer screen. I will never watch movies on a cell phone um, as a way to judge it. I will create a volume setting and leave it there. And it allows me, matter of fact, all the settings are the same. And it allows me to judge every film objectively as possible. Like sound too loud, sound too low versus saying, okay, let me kick that up so I can hear what they're saying. If I can't hear the dialogue, then boom, deduction for sound mix. Mm. You know what I mean? Well, so, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. So that means that you only drink water while you're watching films because I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't drink alcohol, would you, Chris? Because then your experience at the beginning of the evening might be totally different from your experience when, drink you know, no you're alcohol two pours in. This, this okay, is just, all I drink. That's it. <laughs> there That's it is. It. Just making H2O. sure, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be, you know, for sure. get a little blurry. Matter of fact, matter of fact I was watching <laughs> films till 1230 in the morning last night, very unhealthy. Mm. And I felt myself getting tired. So I just stopped. Didn't watch yep. that movie. Very Saved good. The next good job. Like, nope, not watching it. Not watching a movie tired. Um, and giving it, I want to give it out. You know, my dad used to say anything worth doing is worth doing well. Like, you know, it could be, um, it, you know, it's one of those, those cool things I remember from childhood. It was like, don't worry about money, worry about being great. Mm. And, and always know you'll never be the greatest. I'll always be somebody better than you. But if you focus on being the very, very best, then the money will come. And that's been true in my life. So I, I, I think 
for me, I just want to do be the best juror I can be. And I don't know where that leads me and you, but the focus is to do an honest, solid for, you know, these, these filmmakers. That's yep. the, we take it the seriously, man, because, it seriously. And, and like you said, the feedback loop, you know, is, I think would be important too, but we've got a note on that, man. You know, and if I could introduce, I think, I feel like it's time. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I feel like it's time. I'm going to let you take it. I'm a, but I'm going to, I'm going to hold the baton real quick. And I'm going to be like, it's time for a culture check, but I'm going <laughs> to pass it on to you, bro. Cause I think that you got a really good point. Cause we're talking about, you know, mm-hmm. there's a certain responsibility yeah. that we have when you review a film. Yes. Right. There's certain things that you have to do. And I think that, you know, I've spoken on this before because of my experiences looking through films on IMDb. And you know how I get, right? When I see some of those one stars going on and two stars and stuff, it's like, like what are you getting? It's very at, interesting, right? Yeah. You know, like, what are, you, what are you doing? But you just recently, you know, had, like, or we had an experience that you wanted to speak on in the culture check about this. And I just feel like this is a perfect time to do that. Yeah. And I appreciate you being so enthusiastic with the call of this, of the segment. I oh, mean, man. every, every freaking episode, you get it a little bit grittier <laughs> and a little bit more ridiculous, which makes yeah, me really man. happy. I'm in there, bro. IMDb ratings that you just mentioned, by the way, before I dive deep into the situation, I don't understand how the IMDb rating correlates to the Amazon rating of the same movie on Amazon. It's so weird. It's like your movie, let's say there's a movie that's rated six on IMDb. Okay. Or IMDb Pro. You will go find that movie and it'll be four star out of five on Amazon. Oh, that's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. Like (laughs) it's the same company. I just don't know. Like, like is the left hand talking to the right hand? I like what's know. happening there? Like well, I, they're not I, sharing reviews, think, but well, then I, we I, had insight that they no. were sharing reviews. Well, this is the so, same company, like you said. So same company. I think, and I we have to check this. You know, now that we talk, we're talking about it. I yeah. think you can rate it in both places, right? So, okay. like you said, it's That's five stars. You can rate it five stars on screen while you're watching, but then if you go to IMDb, it's one out of ten, right? And you're rating it there. So it's almost like. You know, the folks who are using IMDb and IMDb Pro are in the industry. So you're getting an industry rating versus when your people are watching it, you're getting the viewership rating, which may or may not be true. I think there's a mix there. But honestly, I don't know many people in the like the lay people who are going to IMDb to rate stuff. They just do it right on. Screen, I tend so. to I tend to agree with you. I tend yeah. to agree with you there. I think if that's true. That like if what we're saying is true, like Amazon doesn't share reviews from site to site, even though they own both places, it raises a whole host of other questions, which is like, as a filmmaker, wouldn't you rather pander to the person who went to Amazon to buy and watch your film than to the hired guns that IMDb hires to review them? And, and actually, so they have like an army of reviewers, same with Rotten Tomatoes. And those ratings have a higher weight than a regular user rating because those are their inside people that they trust their taste and judgment. And so I don't know if it's necessarily industry folk that are rating an IMDb, but it's their own in-house internal people. And they have no intention of sort of supporting your film 
beyond the job of reviewing the film, the job of watching it. And, you know, it's, it's different than what we just talked about as a being a juror, like, like as a juror, you watch a film. Um, if you care about the job at all and you kind of approach it the way you would up, up, maybe approach a complex cologne or perfume where and this could be like the the technical stuff that you see on a student film, right? That first, you smell the bottle. You ever do that? Just smell the, you don't spray it. You just smell it, get a hint of it. And then you might spray it in the air and you get that first hint. You smell it and you're like, okay, uh, I don't like that. But people who are really interested in, in that world, they always laugh at that because that's not how you test a cologne or a perfume. There's the nose. There's the thing that you first get. Same with like bourbon. There's the thing you first get. And then there's how it sits on you over time and blends with your own oils and chemistry. That's the real scent of the cologne or perfume. And so when I'm looking at these movies, okay, that first whiff, I don't know if I like that. That first scene, those performances. And then as soon as the movie ends, that movie has rested on me and I rush. I actually do the comments before I do the ratings because I want to get that thought out. That's the, that's the, that's what I smell. Okay. That's how it's resting on the arm. Got it. Now I can really say, do I like this or do not like this? Right. And so, um, whereas like the less expensive or less complex colognes and perfumes, what you smell on the nose is what it's going to smell like on you in an hour. See what I'm saying? So it's a little bit different. So anyway, culture check. Uh, and reviews <laughs> because, um, yeah, well, look, I mean, there was a situation where we had a friend in film who made a feature horror feature and it, um, it did screen at NAF. Uh, it has made other festivals and we had a journalist and filmmaker on Twitter slash X sort of following the festival, following along with every film. And there were really some complimentary things and objective things that I thought he, he said about the festival, good and bad. Um, I won't say this person's name um, or, or account because I, you know, I don't want to bring attention to him positive or negative, but yeah. And it's not necessary for the conversation. It was not necessary for the conversation, but with this particular filmmaking friend of ours, he kind of changed his tone from objective journalism and I'm a journalism major. So I feel like I'm qualified to talk about this a little bit. Right. And I've worked in journalism and, uh, he went from objective journalism where he wasn't sort of writing himself into everything. Although he did do that. He did editorialize sometimes. Um, and then went sort of into personal things about this filmmaker and, when you make a feature film, no matter what the budget is, no matter what the co complexity of the film is, it is so, so hard and so, so collaborative. And it's, he even said it in his, in his, uh, tweet storm, making a film is hard. That's the true thing he said. It is hard. And so therefore you have to be considerate about especially filmmaker to filmmaker, you have to be considerate about how you review and criticize someone else's film. And the way he did it, it was done in such a way where 
it, it, it was, it was hurtful. It was hurtful to the filmmaker and it was designed to shame my festival in on one hand and then chip the confidence of that filmmaker who basically makes a feature once a year. And I just think that there are so many more constructive and better ways to tell a filmmaker you didn't appreciate their film than to go on a public social media forum, go on a, on a, on a multi sort of message thread rant about how mad you are that this person gets opportunities and gets programmed in on festivals and maybe you don't. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, so for me, you know, so I, I read it, you know, I read the thread. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a couple of things that I noticed, right? I noticed that what you mentioned that it did seem like an attack on a person, which I yep. think is just completely unnecessary. Uh, but the other thing that I noticed is that there was, I think only, you know, one comment, right on the thread. <laughs> and I mm -hmm. think that was just him commenting to create the thread. Right. So mm -hmm. it's not like there's tons of people reading this or paying attention. Well, what you do on X is look at the impression. So it had, so I did, a, a, it had some impressions, but people aren't agreeing with him. Right. Exactly. And they don't have anything so, to say about it. So that's the next thing that yeah. I looked at. Right. Is, and again, it's not high numbers, right. There's not a significant impact here. So the first thing I said, like, yeah, it sucks. But to the filmmaker, I would say like, it's, it's, it happens, you know, mm -hmm. you know, let it go, let it roll off your back. This, this isn't important to you, yeah. right? That's, it's just not. So walk on, move on. You had a lot of people who told you the opposite, right? So this is one versus all the people who told you different. So walk away. So it's really yeah. our conversation on the culture check is really less about the filmmaker that we're talking about right now. It's more about the critic. Because again, as you said earlier, yep. filmmakers are people too, right? Mm -hmm. Like, don't be a jerk. That's the bottom line. Like, there's no reason for it. Like, don't attack these mm -hmm. people, right? I find opportunities to actually provide, you know, do your job, critique it, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Offer insight into action. You know, like you said, mm -hmm. don't blast the festival either. What, what, what good comes from that? None comes from that. So that gets back to my concern about, you know, I mentioned IMDb earlier, again, the, the one star reviews and this film sucks and all this stuff. It's like, you, go ahead. You make one then you, you make a yeah. film, right? Like, like make yeah. a feature film, do it. See what happens it is not easy. Right. And then the, the other part of it is, is that your vision, right? Your vision for what that thing should have been might be completely different from what the filmmaker's vision was. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. So they're not making it for everyone. It is impossible to do that. So you're mm -hmm. not liking it doesn't mean that everyone else should dislike it. Right. So it's like, yep. again, provide critique, provide insight into action. What could have been better? What missed for you? Because then the filmmaker, again, if you're being somewhat positive about the critique, positive being that you're providing insight into action, you know, filmmaker can see, well, is this common? Is this a common sentiment? Is this something that I should address, right? Or is yeah. it the one and, and lonely, and only comment? But yeah, that's the first thing. I, I when I read that, man, I was just like, you're just being a jerk, right? This yep. is not, it's not necessary. So, all right, with that in mind, like you said, that this individual considers themselves to be a filmmaker as well. And if this person considers themselves to be a filmmaker, 
then I think that as a fellow filmmaker, it is irresponsible. Yeah. Right. It's more irresponsible than if it was just, again, like I mentioned before, a lay person providing a critique. If you're part of this community and you're doing this to other people, it's like, man, kick rocks. <laughs> you know, it's like, we don't have time for that. Is the community I feel is too small for that nonsense. Yeah, it's a bold move in a small film community. Like the across the southeast, which is where we're sort of hubbed in. Yeah, you might imagine it's a it's a community that has probably fifty thousand people in it in terms of like people who are actively making films. I'm on across like fifteen states. But I find everywhere I go. It's a small, small community. Like think about how big LA is, for example. It's like five cities in one. Every time I go, right, I run into somebody I know. Yeah, every time. <laughs> I was yep. at a I was at a taco shop one time in Hollywood at one in the morning, and Rashid Stevens walked past me. There you go. Yep. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's a small community, man. It and is. He's like, hey, man, it go is. to the grocery store with me. And I'm like, what? <laughs> go to one o'clock in the morning. Store with me. I was like, okay, let's go look at some tomatoes together. You're right. <laughs> we just went in there and we 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 felt how plump they were and stuff like that, and like tested their quality and their oh nice their, I'm, he, I'm glad. their hue. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you and, had that experience uh, with a fellow filmmaker. Yeah. Again, this is human. Yeah. This is a human one, experience. So one in the morning, two. You know, large individuals in a grocery store checking out the hue and plumpness of uh, of tomatoes. Nice, I'm glad in L.A. And then uh, I think we went back and had some cerveza and some more tacos yeah. with uh, Brian Adler of all yeah. people. By the way, human experience, man. That's that's so, the whole point. Small community, yeah. regardless of where you go. Where you go, there's only so many people that are actively doing. Now, everybody wants to do something cool and difficult and creative but there's only so many people that are you know what i mean so i think your point is is super solid and perfectly put i enjoyed that culture check i'm glad that we brought it up we got to address uh something that's a little bit sort of inside baseball but i think true and meaningful to every person that's out there making films because at the end of the day when you make a film, you will have to circle back and come around to reviews from your own community and from other filmmakers that want to be you, other filmmakers that admire you and from the industry and from applications. And they, whether we like it or not, whether you think you're in a game or not, you are in a game and all those things really, really do matter um, because people are busy. And they just don't have time to care at the level that we care. Not me and Nick, but like as filmmakers, you really, really care. And you're always miffed when you feel like, well, how could you not dig a little deeper? Well, they don't have time. There's a lot of competition. We've said it a million times on this podcast, YouTube, TikTok, you name it. Um, other movies, TV shows, uh, we're, in we're inundated. So if the review says two stars, that's almost an automatic skip. And so these things really, really matter. And that's why we took the time to talk about it and, and to make it a culture check. Just be nice people. Just be nice and um, <laughs> be nice to yourself too. You're a person too. You're a filmmaker. Be nice, be nice to, to others and be nice to yourself. I did notice something that recently I should just mention, just as a side note, we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but I've noticed 
that the water cooler talk around the theatrical films has been waning. It's been waning. Couldn't even tell you before this week what was actually out in the theaters and available to watch. So I know that Paul Patrol came out because the guy who wrote it, uh, we follow, uh, our follow him on, on Twitter slash X. I don't know if he follows me or not. So I don't want to say that he could. And, um, congratulations to him. And then of course, uh, Saul has made another movie. I don't even know what number they're on. It's just, they just keep making them because it's, it's, it's uh, 10. yeah, it's something that you can just, it's like fast and furious. Like the, 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 the template's there. The audience is there, so let's just keep making them. But before that, I don't know. It's like it feels like there's been this lull. Part of it could have been that the focus for all the industry uh, rags, you know, Variety and Deadline and Hollywood Reporter, they've been focused on the writer strike and the actor strike, and so therefore there's been less focus on the actual films that are in the theater. But ever since Barbie came out and Oppenheimer came out, I feel like there's been viewer fatigue, like. There comes a point where you can only talk about a subject so long before you need to talk about a different subject. And mm. so many people talked about Barbie and Oppenheimer that they needed a little break. Now, producer Elise says that her friend group is super pumped about this prequel to the Hunger Games. And rightfully so. I loved Hunger Games, especially the first one. I thought that was actually supreme filmmaking i thought it was great but i don't know if that's the general consensus across the board i think there is a barbie barbenheimer barbie oppenheimer fatigue that is going on and it's just something to keep an eye on uh in terms of box office and it's it's one of those things where like the bombast is so big for those two films that everything in comparison to it as a viewer and as just like a, not a filmmaker, but just a film lover, like somebody who wants to go to the theater. It's like nothing else compares. It's like, it's like getting to drive a Bugatti and then having to go back to your Ford focus Ford focus is great. One of the more reliable cars. I don't know if it's reliable, but in one of the, <laughs> one of the more affordable and, and, and consistent cars that you can get. Nothing wrong with it whatsoever. The problem is, just drove a Bugatti, and now you know that. Now you know that feeling. I got a couple of thoughts, but the, mm-hmm. I'm going to drop the first one, and then I'm gonna, we got to go to this trivia because I'm, I'm really curious what it, about what it is. We do have but the first thought that I had. Very excited yeah, about but this. the first that I had was, what water cooler are you standing around, man? It was the last like time you saw cooler. a water cooler, bro. I have one in my house. I know you do, but you ain't standing around with a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah, when I'm, when I'm by the water cooler in there, I'm doing laundry. Exactly. I'm like, water cooler talk. Ain't no I'm water cooler the deer talk, out the man. window. It's like, it's like saying we were standing around the printer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I ain't printing anything anymore, bro. It's not a thing. But it's I become you. a euphemism, right? <laughs> I know. Like yeah, the water yes, cooler yes. just means like standing around talking, talking. about I get whatever. it. I get it. I'm being facetious. I'm joking. Yeah. All right. So... Let's What's get that into, Dave Chappelle joke? I have I have thoughts, but about let's the water get cooler? into the trivia. Uh, oh, I don't have know. You heard that Dave joke? Know that joke? No, what is it? Where, yeah, where he's like, you. Uh, it was like some white guy joke where he was like, you can ask a white guy anything around the water cooler except who he's voting for. 
No, oh, nice. Yeah, well, <laughs> like he he will he will talk about sex with his wife in great detail. But if you ask him who he's voting for, he's like, "Hold on, do what, it's, bro." <laughs> like, it's that's two things. No, no, it's the two things. That was a culture thing. There's two things at work you don't talk about, right? Politics and religion. So mm-hmm. that you know that was almost a religion. Those rules, right? Don't talk mm-hmm. about politics. Don't talk about religion. All right. That's right. So with that, let's let's second let's point. You this. said, yeah. Let's you drop this second well, point. No, I have a point, but I want to drop this this trivia first before I respond to your thoughts on the fatigue and stuff. So let's get Papa Bear. Okay, Papa scene. Bear, producer Papa Bear, please join the podcast. Drop us some trivia that we're going to get wrong for, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, enter, enter in for our, for our weekly segment, our, our per episode segment, things we should know. Things we should know, Papa Bear. Tell us a thing we should know. Well, um, you should know that um, you're talking about Oppenheimer should know that this week is Nobel Prize week. Mm-hmm. I saw that article. Three people won it uh, this week for being able to flash light really fast at to see electrons. Mm-hmm. Electrons. Yeah. yeah. Pretty impressive stuff. Well, tell me this. What executive producer mm-hmm. was awarded a Nobel Prize in physics? And for which film is that executive producer associated with and this is related to oppenheimer no is related to physics <laughs> related which to oppenheimer physics. is related to okay 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 so now this is all a new challenge okay say the question again please producer Paul Bear. what executive producer was awarded a nobel prize in physics and for which film is that producer associated with do you know who would know this <laughs> who would know it uh nick oh. Alexi no. Gambus. Yeah. Oh, Alexi, hundred percent. Alexi, yeah, he, Alexi yeah, if you're listening, been answered this question. Shout out to Alexi Gambus. <laughs> Love him, and uh, he makes the most interesting films, and he's very, very talented. Obviously, yeah. Go check go him out at uh, Labocine. Labocine. Yeah. Shout out to Alexi Gambus, but um, he would know. He would know this, and so this is an executive producer who also won a Nobel Peace Prize. Is that right? No, no, I didn't Nobel say peace prize. prize. A Nobel Prize. A Nobel Prize. Sorry, um, that's that's on me. You, but he also yeah, said, well, you said Nobel Prize in physics. in physics. In physics, I have a guess. Uh, Nick, do you have a guess? I have no clue who this is, man. No <laughs> clue whatsoever. I'm like, that's Nobel Prize in physics, and also an executive producer. And my assumption is, is that the film, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, Papa Bear, but like the film has nothing to do with physics. Oh, that's a great probing question is that like you're 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 kind oh, of trying to get a hint not, out of no me? no man i'm not i have no clue are you, of, this are you like, i'm not even are there. you offended <laughs> are you are you offended that he's no. probing you hey no, that's fine. <laughs> uh, but i'm not gonna bend over <laughs> right, exactly I'm like, is the film <laughs> associated with physics uh, in any yeah, way or sci-fi yeah. let me answer i don't think so next question yeah. actually it is okay wow okay wow so we have so to get the answer right, we need the mm. person in the film, right? Yes. And he's an executive producer. Actually, I'll say that the oh, well, the person award, is an executive producer. Yeah, the award was actually related to the film. Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh 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 oh! It's gonna be. It could be wrong. It could be wrong. But there's two movies that come to mind. Right away. I've, I've given you two hints. <laughs> oh, 
Um, I've got the two films in my mind. Okay. I've got the name of one of them. I've got the, uh, I don't have the name of the other one, but I know what it's about. So Nick, do you have any guesses? Uh, the two films that first come into my mind when you say that, and you say like it could be associated and I don't know when this was part of my, you know, I'm thinking like, I want to go eighties and nineties if that would even be, be close. But I was thinking between um, both ET and back to the future, you know, I was like, you know, the ET is just the, you know, it's just, I think there was things that were happening at that time. I think that would have made sense, Mm -hmm. but back to the future, of course, they were just talked about, you know, physics and science and time and, uh, you know, a lot of different things. Now, again, it could be neither of those, but that was the first thing that, that I thought of when you mentioned that, but I have no clue okay. who the EP would be. Here, here are my, t- here are my two thoughts, Nick. A beautiful mind is one starring our, our boy, uh, yeah, from gladiator mathematics, right? Yep. And then the second one is, and I, it just came out a few years ago and I cannot remember. I remember I can see the movie in my head, but I can't remember the name of it, but it dealt with the Turing test that was used during World War II to figure out. Um, well, it, no, it was the guy who did the Turing test figured out how to hack the Germans communication systems. Oh, in World bro, War II. you know, it's yeah. Even- imitate, yeah. Maybe imitate <laughs> produce at least his imitation game. And I'm thinking, I wanted to say Daniel Kahneman, but Daniel Kahneman is an economist. But Chris, but he had a partner that was more scientific named Kudversky. It's so, so funny. I think that's my answer. I know, but it's so funny. Like I'm, I'm thinking about this and it is, it is amusing to me how I feel mm-hmm. like we both went to like, like narrative. Mm-hmm. It could be a documentary. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like he, he wanted, you know, like why, why wouldn't it be a documentary? You know, like, it's cause just, he said movie. Exactly. He primed right. us. Yeah, right? maybe. Like, yeah, yeah. Maybe. Well, I said film. Yeah, film. Mm-hmm. Look at that. Just, film. There you go. My brain Still. went straight to narrative. But anyway, all right, who is it? I, this, I'm not going to Maggie Contreras would be mad at us. Right, uh, exactly. Yeah, you know, documentary yeah. filmmaker. Executive producer is. Shout out, shout out to Maggie. Yep. Executive producer, Dr. Kip, K-I-P, Thorne was awarded the 2017 Nobel Prize in Physics for his work leading to the detection of gravity waves, which were first predicted by Albert Einstein nearly 100 years ago. Wow. And he was an executive producer on the film Interstellar. Interstellar. Oh! oh. (laughs) It makes me so upset. Yeah, right? uh, So, you know what, Papa Bear, you did us a really big disservice. Huge okay. disservice. You know, let me Sorry. tell you why. Great job. Okay. That is a thing we should know. I'm so glad I know that now. Kip Thorne, Dr. Kip Thorne. Shout out to Kip Thorne. Dr. Dr. Kip, Dr. Kip Thorne. <laughs> and the reason you mm. messed us up is I. the first question, the first clue I asked for was, was this Oppenheimer related? And you said, no. You said it's about physics and Oppenheimer was about physics, the movie. Yeah. It is Oppenheimer related. Both Interstellar and Oppenheimer were both directed by Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. So uh, you missed people. Well, well, yeah, it's not on that. There wasn't the intent. It's not Oppenheimer related, right? It I is. Think yeah. it, no, it's, it's not same director, same writer. It's, uh, it's same writer director. It's, it's not. What are you talking it's about? Inter- interstellar related. But listen to this little 
Are you telling me that the writer and director are insignificant? It's an insignificant bridge between those two films. That's crazy for, for the that. trivia anyway, that we were ahead. just doing. Yeah, it's not. Anyway, I, I might have guessed. I might have guessed. So here's what happened. Here's what happened. Mm-hmm. Doctor okay. Kip Thorne won a scientific bet against Stephen Hawking Ooh. about the Ooh. astrophysics theory that underlies this movie. As a consequence, Hawking had to subscribe. To Penthouse Magazine for a year, for a oh, year. That was worth. That was. That's a thing we should know. I love it. That's a thing we should know. I like that. Here's another tie to another movie. This famous bet <clears throat> was depicted in the Theory of Everything. Wow. Okay. Look at that. The connections, man. I like it. Great work, producer. I Bob like Bear. it. Yeah. It's what wonderful. a good trivia. That's wonderful. Okay. Well, I've had this for months. I've been yeah, waiting been, for been something on it. <laughs> scientific to come up. And we deliver. We should just do, yeah, Barman we should Heimer. just let you. We're going to, in one of these episodes, we're just going to open up the cameras and microphones to you and just let you just talk about science and that all the be, things that are interesting to you. That would be the biggest mistake this podcast has <laughs> <laughs> Mistake in the making right there, bro. <laughs> In the <laughs> yeah, the next episode will be me doing an MIM about the time I'll let Papa you Bear let Papa speak Bear for 30 minutes. Mic. You're right. There you go. All, All right. Well, well Chris done, Parker, Thank you so thank much. You. Well done. Yes. Right. Thank yeah, you. We I feel it. smarter every time he gets on the microphone, every time he gets on the camera. That's right. I feel a little smarter, Nick. Yep. Yep. Cool. All right. All right. So back, more. back to the point we were talking about, we were talking about Barbenheimer and potential oh, audience fatigue, fatigue yeah. and stuff like that. Fatigue. So audience fatigue. Yeah. So, so I have a couple of thoughts on that. And the first one is that the timing of everything that came after was also in sync with the, uh, actor strike. Yep. So writers and actors strike. So well, well specifically the actors, they couldn't promote. Yeah. Right. So the level of promotion that we were getting before, especially, oh, in, I see. you know, yes. Barbie and Oppenheimer Day, it was just on another level. And then mm-hmm. it literally went to zero. It was like COVID. Right. Like you can't promote. You just can't oh, do this it. Is a, this is this might be the reason. Yeah. So I, I love think this. Th- yeah. So I think that's the critical one. But I do have a second one. OK. And the second one gets back to kind of what you were saying about there's other movies in the theater. Right. That's the the Ford Focus movies where they're like, those are good. That's reliable theater or, or at least that's reliable movie watching. Right. If you mm-hmm. wanted to see a movie in the theater, there's movies for you to watch. But what I saw, the difference was, is that Barbie and Oppenheimer were built to be theatrical experiences, whereas mm-hmm. a lot of the movies that came after and it kind of in between maybe Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and now the creator specifically. And like you're saying, Paw Patrol, I mean, even Paw Patrol, but like the creator, there were not these cinematic experience type movies coming out after Barbenheimer. So you could go to the movies, but you weren't going to have a Barbie experience at the movies. You weren't going to have an Oppenheimer experience and then therein, you know, lies that little lull that also was, you know, again, seriously compounded by the fact that there was no marketing happening. There was no buzz around theater going. It was just quiet. Yeah, because it makes you think about the value of a press junket. Yeah. And these junkets that the actors do. I mean, there's nothing saying that the movies can't, you know, the, the, the movies. 
the theaters and the studios can't team up and market a film. Right. I mean, if you go to a theater, you still see the same cardboard cutouts. You still see the same sort of marketing approach as normal, but maybe there is less so on television, et cetera. Like, yep, like the late the night shows. Still the machine. Yep. Like they're still going to, you know, um, have the ability strike or not to, to promote their films. What's interesting is I know that a lot of films just push back and, and said, well, we're not going to release now. We're going to delay right. the release. So because we really depend on, it just goes to show like they like how valuable and important marketing is like until we can market this properly, like this movie's budget and, and ROI depends on us being able to do this. Exactly. Because it's not that they couldn't roll it out. It's that, do you want to spend ad dollars on late night television, like you put it, for example, where the episodes are reruns. Right. Because those writers on those shows make those shows work. Like literally you can't have Jimmy Fallon if he doesn't have his writer's room. Yep. Right. And Bill Maher just came back first episode back last week, which I'm curious how that's going to turn out. Cause <laughs> it was weird. Cause him and him and uh Drew Barrymore kind of like, I guess the writer, some writers felt like they were scabbing and then the strike got resolved the next week. Yeah. So no harm, no foul or no, <laughs> no, nah, we took receipts. We remember yep, they're, they're taking were, receipts, bro. They're taking those receipts. They're not gonna let them off easy for that. Well, their shows are back on and, you know, I watched Bill Maher and it was, it was a good, good episode. Um, sounds like their writer's room is still writing good content. They're not like, upset that they had their job back so at least in that writing room it seems to be working okay but i just wonder sort of you know he got called a lot of names and maybe that's the end of it you know he got called a lot of names on social media she got called a lot of names on social media maybe that's the end of it yeah maybe um, we'll, we'll see but we'll, see, how but, but we'll see what happens as as it as it as it progresses and hopefully the actors strike in soon you know they uh, I, I know that for the wga they felt like they got what they asked for and in some cases more uh, producer Lee says three of Barrymore's writers declined to come back. So there you go. Yeah. Um, keeping receipts. Yeah. Keeping receipts. There you go. Uh, and those writers have to be feel pretty good about their job security, right? They must be great writers because they're like, ah, we'll quit that show and go to another show. We'll get hired. Right. Um, I know a lot of writers and this is just from our talk with like Charla Larston, for example, like, yeah, you don't have that kind of security sometimes depending on where you're at in the writer hierarchy in a room. Like you need right. that job. You want to keep that job. But for the most part, those writers got what they wanted. The, the, the union got what they wanted. And in some cases, a lot more than they asked for. Some cases less than they asked for, but like a wait and see. Let's, let's get the, you know, some of these things are sort of like, um, uh, data dependent, like the residual data, that a writer might get based on the popularity of a streaming show, for example. I'm curious to see how open and honest the streamers are about the popularity of a show or how they change their marketing approach uh, based on the popularity of a show, or if they'll just be straight up and say, look, the show's popular. We should pay you something. Hmm. Um, I think the, the issue is, writers and and everybody that's historically involved in in the movie industry film industry is dealing with corporate entities that are also in that industry but when you talk about a streamer you're talking about a silicon valley tech company 
that happens to make movies. And it's just that nuance makes all the difference in the world. Um, so it changes everything about how, how they behave. I think I shared something with the team earlier in the group chat and Slack, like cancellation rates for every streamer, like how they like at what percentage do they cancel shows? Apple is by far the least likely to cancel a show. They like, they believe in the show, they stick with it. But the reason that behavior exists is because they don't have to follow the rules that Netflix had to follow or that these other movie industry style channels had to follow. So that'll be interesting to see. And I think that the fact that like Paramount Plus and HBO Max and, and, and maybe some others basically didn't have to increase their rate or so. Well, I'm trying to remember exactly. I had it a couple of weeks ago, but I can't remember exactly what their deal is, but, but I feel like they kind of, you know, got what they wanted in, in, in the negotiation. And I think the, the issue is, is that you can't compare one streamer to the other and they have different economic needs and different positioning in the market. So anyway, how that plays out for the actors I think the actors have their back against the wall the same way the writers did, where they're like, we need to get what we're asking for or do another thing, like have another profession or write in a different market. And that's why the writers were never going to break. They were going to stay, they were going to have solidarity. They were going to strike every day until it got resolved. And they, they did it. And it was awesome to watch. Except for, of course, Bill Maher and Drew Barrymore. <laughs> but, but with the actors, you know, they kind of have to do the same thing. And I think that they have less historically, I'm not just saying this historically SAG has had SAG after has had less solidarity on strikes than the, than the writer's guild. So that's part of their problem. Part of their weakness is some actors didn't even want to strike. Um, and then also I think what they're asking for is tough, tougher, right? Like the writers got in their contract where it says, AI cannot be credited on a film. That's huge. That's huge. Like AI can't be credited as a writer. You can't replace my job with AI. Like that's in their contract now. That's huge. The problem that actors have is that they've already been CGI for a long time. For two decades. So how do you put that into a contract when you know that you know, lots of movies, movies you wouldn't even expect to use CGI that much. You see, like The Hangover. When Zach Galifianakis, Zach Galifianakis is climbing, was it Caesars or something like that? Or The Mirage? That's all CGI. Like the whole casino when he walks in is all a model. Yeah, I don't, so, don't know that that's a negotiating point. I don't know point. how they're going to do it. Yeah, I don't know if that's a primary or even a negotiating point, you know, at this time. We got to find out what the negotiating points are around AI, I think specifically before we can speak on it. But yeah, if, if they, there yeah, are if negotiating there are. points on AI, it's going to be tough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If there are at all. But I was going to say that, you know, back to the kind of the theatrical experience and the Barbenheimer thing, I think one of the most interesting things, and maybe it'll die off soon, but the fact that they're doing the whole Barbenheimer thing with Saw and Paw Patrol and they're like calling it Saw Patrol, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, like, is it really a thing? You know, I mean, I we'll see if the, is. yeah, exactly. Like if the numbers do great on, on Paw Patrol and saw, you know, together, then maybe, but I don't think it's a thing. I think like, I'm like, oh, y'all are just playing. That's, that's not really a thing. And it's, I think because mm -hmm. 
they wasted it on this one is going to go away. Like we're not going to hear of the the double movie thing for a while because they wasted it. Like y'all should have, honestly, there's probably two other movies that are much better suited for that type That's of That's industry talking its own book, right? Yeah. It's just, That's just industry talking its own yeah, book, trying to, trying to gin up, gin up, um, clicks and views like opening weekend paul patrol did 23 million or so approximately against a 30 million dollar production budget that means they probably spent 60 total when you include pna uh saw did 19 million opening weekend against a 13 million dollar production budget so kudos uh probably spent 26 million total roughly approximately so yeah a little bit more they're going to cross that threshold easily in week two i think so we'll see what happens uh and uh, like with all films i wish them a great deal of success and i want to see the theaters win so that's the only reason i brought it up is i just don't want these two movies to sort of like you know blast everybody out of uh of contention uh, and create a type of sort of uh, fatigue, theater fatigue for all the intensive marketing those films did. Like, yeah, no, like you I need to break sometimes. Like, yeah, you just overwhelm with this shit. Yeah, I think we're good now that the actor, you know, like, you know, we'll see. I mean, actor strike's not over, so right. Like, that's yeah. we'll see what happens as as that takes a turn, um, or they figure out another way to to market these things in the the less organic you know, ways, because that's what it, you know, you'd watch a TV show, you'd see them talking about it, right? You go on their Instagram, they'd be talking about the next film right now. They can't do that. So we'll see how they figure this out. Um, because it's not, they can't keep pushing these films out, man. You know, they got to put stuff in the theaters. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it'll, it'll start to work itself out over time as the, uh, the strike comes to a close, but totally agree look i think we did the damn thing i you know we we covered a lot here and obviously more to come as as we uh, do our thing out in the film world and and report back to these wonderful listeners and viewers of ours uh, if you're watching on youtube thank you so much and and please continue to watch share tell a friend subscribe and if you're listening you're an og you've been listening on apple Podcasts or spotify for years we love you too we have some cool surprises coming on the audio side uh, very, very soon. And I think, I think it's going to be, you know, I can't, I don't want to hint at it too much, but I think it's going to be really cool and awesome. Actually, a couple of things for both channels, YouTube and audio, that'll be really cool. But one thing specifically just for audio that, that, that's around the corner that, that I'm excited about. Um, before I go into, we wrap this thing up, I should say, I do just want to say shout out to some of the best films that, uh, I saw or that we saw Nick at the festival. Um, I know that, that, you know, you had to leave a little sooner than you wanted to from the festival. I got to see those sort of back end films, but asleep in my palm, shout out to hideout pictures. Uh, that is a flat out wonderful movie. So if you get to see on streaming, cause I don't know if it's going to do a theatrical run, although it's well deserving of it, the female protagonist in it, I need to get her name. If we get a chance to to cast her in anything, we got to do it. She's unbelievable. <laughs> she she's is, unbelievable. She's phenomenal. So sleep, asleep in my palm, wonderful film. Um, shout out to a film, a French film called A Taste of Things. It is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful movie. I left there feeling so warm, and um, 
the filmmaking, the cinematography, uh, the production design and, and, and set design using, uh, location as a character in every scene. I mean, just, it was exquisite. Um, really love the acting that the female protag in that, what's her name? Bridget. I can't remember, but it's called a taste of things. She should be up for an Oscar. That's how well she did. So she should be nominated as best female lead. And then, uh, Fiona and son or no Flora and son, Flora and son, which is actually streaming right now on Apple TV. Everybody can go watch it. It's the music is done by the same people who did sing street. Sing street is one of my favorite movies of all time. And you should watch this movie just for the music and the feel goods alone. Um, there is language. So if you, this is not for your children, uh, Juliet Binoche. Thank you. Uh, producer Elise, uh, a taste of things is so, so good. Uh, she, she should be up for an Oscar. Okay. Anyway. Um, but this movie, Nick, I thought about you a lot when I watched it. Why? Curiouser and curiouser. Because it is a straight up endearing, the most endearing 90 minute ad for Apple you will ever see. It's just an ad. It's just a, like everything they do is on an Apple device. There you go. They're there using go. garage. They actually say garage band <laughs> by name. Um, they are using uh, the phones, the iPads. Uh, they're using FaceTime. The whole love story revolves around using FaceTime. So it was like a made for Apple movie. And there's, if you want to be a cynic about it, or maybe even a pragmatist, you can say, that's a really great 90 minute ad for Apple and all the devices and services on modern family. So like yep. where the whole episode was through Apple devices. Yep. There you go. So, so, but do check it out. It's endearing. And then there's foe F O E. Um, it has Paul Mescal. It has, is it, do you pronounce her name? Sorice Ronan? I think so. Yeah. She's yeah. incredible in everything she's in. She was in Brooklyn. Of course yeah. she was in, I think Hannah back in the day, the film, not the series. And she's just great in everything she's in. And this movie's no different. Really, really, really great performances by Paul Mescal and by her. And the movie is is a mind bender. It's it's a it's a living, breathing sort of um well, view into some type of future. And then it has this very a strange uplifting ending that you don't expect. And um, it keeps you guessing like right from the beginning, you know, something's being hidden from you. And so that's just a master class on pace, editing, directing, writing, et cetera. And they don't give it to you to the very end. And so I highly recommend foe. So I just want to shout out some, shout out some of the movies that uh, I thought were great. I know I missed some in there. Um, Nick, did you have anything that stood out? I should just say like, if I missed any, were there any that stood out to you as great? No, I mean, I just think, you know, you mentioned Asleep in My Palm, but the one thing that I wanted to mention was just how, you know, phenomenal uh, doc shorts most mm -hmm. often are. You know, every time I get an opportunity to watch documentary shorts, I ask myself why I don't do it more often. And mm -hmm. I would just invite everybody to spend the time to watch the doc shorts at any festival that you go to. I think there's always a... Uh, you know, a desire for the narratives 
you know, like everyone wants to see the narratives and even the the full length documentaries because they often bring people in, you know, who are mm-hmm. the directors of those things or they bring the subject of those documentaries in. Uh, and that's great. I'm you know, definitely not taking anything away from those, but what someone can accomplish in maybe 10 minutes, you know, maybe 10 to 15 minutes for a documentary yeah. short, I think for me is super impressive. And just that little amount of time, how much you can learn, but also how yeah. you can just walk into someone else's experience and walk into their lives in that short amount of time. Like it, it's, yeah. it's just a, an amazing window into worlds that you may never actually experience for yourself. So to me, that's one of the most impactful is just the documentary shorts. And I think the one that stuck out to me and you was a beautiful doc short called, uh, named Even Odd. Yep. And it follows the life of the director. I think his name is Sean Yang or maybe Sean Wang. I can't remember which one. Um, but shout out to Sean, wherever you are, (laughs) you made an amazing documentary and it follows. It's a story that follows his grandmothers on both sides of his family. I believe one being 83 years old, one being 94 years old and they live together. And so that's already unusual. And then you just get you know, totally immersed in their lives and, and you get to experience the joy of just living. Yeah. And, and it's a very small window, was, but it's it was perfect. so it's beautiful. It was so good. And I would watch that and I would recommend it to any, I'd watch that again and again. I'd recommend it to anybody. So anyhow, Nick, yeah, I think we yeah. did the damn thing. We, we, we did, man. This is, this is special. And I was going to tell you for this episode on our outro, we should just shrink the sucker down, man, because I think mm-hmm. today, you know, what, yeah, what we really want from these people is very simple. You know, like if you're watching us on YouTube, man, you better like this video, right? That's the first thing, right? The second thing is subscribe to the channel because we continue to do this, right? The, we're sharing ideas, we're sharing thoughts, we're sharing insights, but we're also bringing other people in to do it. And if you subscribe, you're helping us to, you know, to continue to do that. And of course, hit that notifications button. So when, you know, when we do this, when we make it happen, when we drop the video, you get the video, right? You know, it's coming, you know, it's going to drop and you can be part of it. And then our folks who are on the podcast side, it's almost the same thing, right? You hit that subscribe, you're going to get those notifications, right? That's the main thing. Just just subscribe to the work that we're doing because it helps us to continue to do this, you know, over, uh, over and over again. And, you know, lets us know that you're out there, that you're listening um, and then share that with other people, you know, let other people know that this is what we're doing. Right. And that this is providing value to the community. And I think Chris, you know, did some outreach earlier about, you know, the guests that we love to have on the conversation mm-hmm. where it's just like we're we're open to these conversations. We want to have these conversations. So, um, you know, we're excited to do it and we're excited to be on so many platforms um, that allow us to get our voices and the voices of the filmmaking community out there. Yeah, spot on. And so couldn't have said it better myself. Um, of course, if you want to reach out to us, contact at bonsai.film. You can yep. reach out to me on X at Flame in Your Heart or just search for Chris Barkley. And you can contact Nick at Nick at bonsai.film. Leave us any comments on YouTube, please. Those who have been commenting, we love you. Appreciate, yeah, appreciate it, it. friend. And with that, Nick, why don't you hit us with the credo? Oh, I get to do that? Mm-hmm. Wow. This, this, this is, you know, why not? Like, why not? Why not? <laughs> He's mm-hmm. such a wild and crazy guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, to our friends, our family, and our fans out there, the filmmaking community, be better, be creative, be engaged. 
And thank you for listening. Nick, talk to you soon. Yes, sir. We'll do it again, man. This is great. I love it. Love it too. Peace. All right, man. Be good. Yep. All right. Peace. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. For more information about this episode, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative, and the show will pop right up. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at underscore Bonsai Creative, and on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. In addition, you can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we are trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please consider supporting our Patreon page. We spend a combined 35 hours a week producing each episode. We do this with a small team of go-getters that are passionate about film and connecting people with similar interests across the globe. And we have lots of goodies in store for our supporters, including bonus content, exclusive swag, and discounts and freebies to private film events. If that sounds like something you can get behind, donations start at only $5 monthly. And of course, If you're looking to take a big step toward your film's financial success, go to www.banzai.film and click on services to explore our unrivaled approach to film marketing. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.